Thank you for having us. Hello. Good morning. Um, so I was sort of skeptical when Mark asked me or asked us to come and talk about Christmas music um, because, frankly, I don't really like Christmas music, and I proudly identify as a Grinch. Um, I think it's kind of a bummer. And okay, I, that's an exaggeration. I don't dislike all Christmas music. I love O Come O Come Emmanuel. I love how a, Lo How a Rose Air Blooming. I love so much of the music we do here at Holy Communion. Um, the Christmas music that sort of like makes me cringe just a little bit are the things that come on the radio, the Christmas pop songs. Um, so Nat King Cole doing Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, Frank Sinatra doing White Christmas, um, anything from the Johnny Mathis Christmas album. Um, I, I, turn, I turn the radio channel as soon as they come up. And okay, it's not that I dislike that music. The more I thought about why, like, I, it's more a matter of, I, it seems as though everyone else finds so much pleasure and joy and wonder in this music. Um, and I don't want to listen to it in the car while I'm shopping. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's not that I find that music kitschy or um, think that it doesn't sound good. It's that it's my grandparents' music, right? And specifically, when I hear that music, I'm reminded of my grandparents' really sad end-of-life declines. I once told Eliana, the song White Christmas is a song about dementia and hospitals for me. Um, and so that's what we want to talk about today, Christmas music and melancholy and Christmas music and nostalgia. Um, and of course, nostalgia doesn't necessarily need to be painful. It can be deeply pleasurable. It can be deeply meaningful. Same with melancholy. And the more I thought about this, the more it intrigued me as a music historian because I started realizing that of any of the music most of us are likely to encounter throughout our lives, Christmas music has the deepest, most varied, and most richly intertwined connections to the past. I mean, the word Christmas carol is a medieval word. Like, when we talk about caroling, we are participating in a tradition that goes back to the 14th and 15th centuries. Um, although, like, as the resident pedantic person, I should note that carol didn't become a Christmas word until, like, the 18th century, but we can talk about that during Q&A or something like that. Um, but yeah, Christmas music has this deep and rich connection to the past, and that's part of what makes it so nostalgic. And it's summed up beautifully in this XKCD cartoon that actually helped me understand why I felt about White Christmas and chestnuts roasting on an open fire the way I did. Um, for those of you who can't read the captions, um, the cartoonist has written, the 20 most played Christmas songs based on their uh, radio play between 2000 and 2009, and they're arranged by decade of popular release. Um, and so you'll notice that Santa Claus is Coming to Town is from the 1930s. From the 1940s, we have Rudolph, Winter Wonderland, Chestnuts, Let It Snow, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, I'll Be Home for Christmas, and White Christmas. The 1950s have Rockin' Around a Christmas Tree, Jingle Bell Rock, Blue Christmas, Little Drummer Boy, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, Silver Bells, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas, sleigh ride, cross through the snowman, and so on. Um, and then the caption below that reads, 
Every year, American culture embarks on a massive project to carefully recreate the Christmases of baby boomers' childhoods. <laughs> and so I think that's one thing we get from this music. It doesn't just sound jolly. It doesn't just sound festive. It connects us to our childhoods. If you are of the baby boom generation or older, it reminds you of, you know, the ones you used to know, right? Um, and really, so many of these songs are already um, shot through with nostalgia. Um, white Christmas talks about the Christmases I want uh, that I used to know. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's from a movie that's set in L.A., but we've since sort of forgotten that. It becomes the Christmases we used to know. Um, chestnuts roasting on an open fire harks back to the innocence of childhood. Every mother's child is going to spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. Um, I'll Be Home for Christmas is a deeply melancholy song. I'll Be Home for Christmas if only in my dreams. No accident that that song was written during the World War II years, of course. So it's all about missing family. And so, right, the music that you hear on the radio or while shopping is often deeply nostalgic, and it's played to take you back to childhood or to your parents' childhood or your grandparents' childhood. Um, Christmas and nostalgia is bigger than that as well. So many of the songs that we sing, the songs that we sang at the Advent party a week ago, um, are from the world of the Victorian 19th century or from Dickensian England. So many iconic Christmas songs are from the 19th century. Jingle Bells predates the Civil War was published in 1857. By the way, fun fact, it was originally meant to be a Thanksgiving song. Um, maybe because of climate change, like we've had to bump up the sleigh ride to Christmas. Um, the first songs about Santa are from the 19th century, up on the housetop, jolly old St. Nicholas. And I think that makes sense, because so much of our Christmas culture, the sounds and sights of Christmas, take us back to the world of Charles Dickens and the Victorians. The poem, A Night Before Christmas, 1823. Um, Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, I really like the Muppet version. But even so, it's the Muppets taking you back to Victorian England. And then sort of the, one of the iconic um, painters of Christmas time in American culture as of like the late 1990s, Thomas Kincaid, like all of his Christmas images, well not all, but many of them, um, immerse us in this 19th century small town American milieu. And so my guess as a music historian is that these songs and these poems and these images from the 19th century endure, I mean, on one hand, simply because Christmas only became the big holiday it is as of the 19th century. Um, that's a whole other topic for another day. But they, I think they do make us feel connected to this time that we thought of, we might think of as cozier or simpler. You know, for a moment when we're looking at images like this, we're not in the mall, but in a beautiful snow-covered landscape. And we're not Skyping with relatives who are far away, but they're actually living near us because communities are close-knit and not terribly mobile. Um, 
So all of this is to say is that the ghosts of Christmas past haunt our playlists and our Christmas seasons. That your Spotify channel, the radio, whatever is playing when you're running Christmas errands um, are full of memories, full of nostalgia, whether for our own pasts or for much deeper historical pasts. And so part of the season, we've been talking about hope and Advent a lot in church, which is great. Another important part of the season is being born back ceaselessly into the past by the music that we're hearing and singing and the images that we're seeing. So Christmas is also about uh, remembering, and we do that in part through our music. On that note, Eliana is going to really lift things up with a talk about melancholy. <laughs> okay, so, um, hi. Okay, good. I usually use Google Slides myself, so I'm, hopefully this will work. Um, so I'm going to talk about um, when we were asked to do this talk, I was sort of thinking about what Christmas music is in the hymnal, and I took a hymnal home and, and looked through it, and I started to count the number of songs that are marked in that Advent season that are in minor. And it's probably about 30% or so, which is pretty high for, a, you know, usually most of what we sing, the remainder of the year is usually in a major key, the happy key. And actually quite a lot of what we sing um, in the Advent season particularly is taken from plain song, so taken from much, much older maybe 12th century, even as early as 8th or 9th century music, um, and using those sort of medieval church modes, and it has a totally different feel. Um, so what I'm going to talk about is sort of why do we have all this sort of melancholy, more down-tempo, perhaps more sad music during this time, um, especially when contrasted with the culture of Christmas that's supposed to be all festive and jolly and, and very energetic um, so I'm going to do an example of one of my favorite Christmas carols. It's technically an Advent song, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So the Latin text is from 1710. It kind of had a hodgepodge existence. The earliest we have of the melody that we know um, that we sing this carol is from 15th century France. It is very likely that it is much older, maybe as early as 8th century. We just don't have... Um, sources on that. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is one of these songs that is taken from uh, plain song, so from chant. It would have originally been chanted um, you know, by monks uh, in a single line, no harmony. Single line chant and later the harmony was added. Um, and these songs, they're part of a group called the O Antiphons which is a group of these plain song chants that were used in, usually in Vespers type services during Advent, days leading up to Christmas. So what we're gonna do, I have a couple of ways I want to listen to this. And the first way is I want us just to listen to the first verse and I want you to think about kind of See what comes up for you emotionally when you listen to this. See what kind of memories you have of listening to this or what experiences it calls up for you. And hopefully it's not
does anyone just want to maybe turn to the person on your right-hand side and share some kind of characteristic that you feel this music has? So some kind of feeling word or color word. I'm just going to give you like 30 seconds to do that while I figure out how to write on this. And go. Uh, Alex, you're the one who knows how to use this. I use Google Slides, Alex. <laughs> how do I write on it? Oh. Do you have to go out of presentation? Yeah. Broke it. 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 Bro
you're going to go up, and as the notes go down, you're going to go down. And just kind of follow the melodic contour. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and go. Characteristics other than the melody being fairly static, what are some other things that you notice? Maybe some things about the rhythm. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. So very, very legato, which means it's um, that the notes themselves they all kind of bleed into each other, right? There's not any stops. It's really connected and smooth. Anything else? Yes. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So this is in the Dorian mode. So again, because this is taken from plain song, um, in music history, nobody woke up one day and was like, let's have a major scale and a minor scale, and this is how we're going to do it, and it's going to be these notes. So um, earlier in music history, um, we had what we call the church modes, and... It was, it's very similar to a scale that we have now with eight notes, but um, it'll be different intervals and different choices of notes. And this particular one is similar to a minor scale, um, which is why a lot of these um, Advent hymns have kind of a minor feel. So a Dorian scale, I don't know if I, I have not seen this piano before. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want to play it? Start on E? Yeah. 
Oh, of course not. No. So, um, <laughs> let me, I have it on my iPad anyways. So, uh, yeah, Dorian scale sounds kind of like a minor scale if you're used to a minor scale. This is about as loud as it goes, sorry. So we have an E, F sharp, G, A, and then uh, E, F sharp, G, A, B, right? It, it doesn't go all the way. I can do it on piano. It's hard on the app. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a kind of a, you don't get leading tones. You don't get a half step going into the E that kind of pushes it up and, and makes it sound more like a normal minor key that we're listening to. So again, that's taken from, from plain song. Um, okay, so it's very legato, really smooth. You don't really notice the organ a lot um, when you hear it accompanied. It just kind of blends in. Yeah? It, it sounded otherworldly. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I think the, the purpose was to load the prayers up to God. Yeah. Uh -huh. Wouldn't it be rooted in, in terracotta? Yeah. Yeah, and the melody, um, well, the melody keeps do, does keep returning to do, but it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so very legato. It's in the Dorian mode, kind of minor sounding, I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay. And then a completely um, non-liturgical piece that I want to also talk about is one of my personal favorites, um, which is from Charlie Brown Christmas album. <laughs> um, from a, a Charlie Brown Christmas, the television special from 1965, so a very, you know, nostalgic period. Um, so this song, actually I learned that the vocal version that we often hear like in the Starbucks and stuff is recorded by a Episcopal church choir, so it's all connected. Um, so we're going to listen to this, and I want to see if we can identify some other ways, so it's a totally different musical style, of course, uh, but some other ways that Vince Guaraldi kind of portrays melancholy in this song, even though it's a very different musical language. So once it plays, should be playing. Okay, here we go. There we go.
um, Vince Guaraldi was a, a jazz musician. Um, so this is a very different musical language than the other piece we talked about. But does anyone have any, anything that comes up for you when you hear this? What, what's kind of the overall mood of this piece? Relaxing. Relaxing? Okay. Yeah, it's very down tempo, right? <laughs> oh, that's not how you spell relax. Anything that's called out. It, it is melancholy. I'll talk about that in a sec, like why that. Because this is, um, yeah, it's a different musical language, but it's still kind of sad. Yeah. Do you have, oh, yeah. I feel like um, plotting, like P-L-O-D-D, yeah. rather than the, in contrast to the floating. Yeah. Yes, remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so one thing, um, yeah, so plotting, what you're talking about, um, yeah, the chords are, are very repetitive, or just the times when you hear the chords, it's very predictable. It kind of has this sense of, not a fast motion, but certainly kind of like a walking motion or something like that. That's for sure. Um, and then, supposed to be this really magical time, you know, for, especially for children in the Christmas season, and yet, you know, Charlie Brown is really sad throughout the whole thing. And I think the way that Garaldi does this um, musically is it's generally in a, in a major-ish key. We could talk more about that, but there's a lot of seventh chords, and then it, um, because it's jazz, so basically you t- I, the piano doesn't work. Nope, okay. <laughs> Um, oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Anyways, so um, yeah, basically, let me see if I can do it on the app. Um, so you'll take a regular chord. So, and I'll hit sustain. Um, so here's a so here's a regular major chord, the happy chord, right? It's F major. And then I'm going to add a seventh to it. And it just adds that little bit, and depending on the inversion, um, or if you put that inversion in the bass, it sounds even more that way. Just makes it a little sad. It's not super sad, right? It's not like you're going to cry, but it's, it adds that little extra. And then, um, as you are mentioning, the bass line... Um, in, the, so in the left hand of the piano, what's happening over the course of the song, and we'll kind of listen to it so you can actually you kind of hear that for yourself. It's like going down by a half step. Yes? Yeah.
You don't mind that? No? Word then. Um, I don't think sad is always a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. So, and I think that's what I was talking about. That it's kind of both, right? Um, that, and especially the lyrics that Mark was mentioning. Uh, Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Yuletide by the far, fireside and and joyful memories. They're all the you know the favorite time of year is one of the lyrics. So obviously they're portraying um, a lot of positivity, but you're right, it has, it's kind of a double layer thing, I think. Um, and that, yeah, yeah. I think it's open to a couple of interpretations, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right, it's, it's complex. Yeah, uh -huh. but what I was mentioning about the bass line is it is kind of going down, that you're, right. Um, that you are kind of settling. So you can interpret that as either being kind of relaxing or chill or, or just a little fun, you know, a little different. Or you can interpret it as, as, if you're listening to classical music, when that is done in classical music, it is almost always kind of a downer. Um, in, this, in this musical language, no, I mean it is. Um, in this musical language, it's different. So, pensive. Pensive, yeah, we could talk about pensive. You were going to say something. Yeah, there's a lot of suspensions. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. This one also, I, I, there's the plotting in the left hand, in the bass line, in the um, piano, but the voices kind of float. It's like both ends. You're going to say something. Yes. Yeah. Now, so I'm going to just um, piggyback off of that because one of the things, and we're going to listen to it again, and I want to see if you can kind of hear this, um, is that the children's voices are a little out of tune all the time. They never quite get up to that note. So if you're listening, um, you know, if they're outlining the chord and the chord is in the piano, so they should be matching. I'm not saying they're bad singers. They're really good. They're doing this intentionally. <laughs> um, so it should sound like this. And they're going to be more like a little bit low, just maybe a quarter tone low. And again, you can interpret that in a couple ways. A lot of young singers have a trouble pitch matching. That's something we, you know, you definitely work on. So it can sound authentic. It can sound like a real kids choir, not, not the King's College Choir where they've been training for decades. Um, or you can interpret it as being sad or being kind of it's not quite there, not as bright as if it was in tune with the piano. Or you can interpret it as being funky and just part of the musical style and something that we do as musicians. Sometimes it's more musical not to be on pitch in a specific way. So um, <laughs> um, let me just play that again. I want to see if you can hear that aspect of it, the, this children's voices and how they interact with the piano. Thank you. 
in the middle of the instrumental part. It'll come, it'll come. You're gonna get a really good sense of the pitch center now. <laughs> they're not singing yet. traditional holiday music, right? We didn't think in four or six, eight. Yes? I love the aspect of the, I've never noticed that before. Thanks for pointing that out. How the children's voices, you yeah. can hear a few of them all pitch. Yeah. It sounds really authentic. And yeah. You know, it's, not, it's not so perfect, but that makes it even more nice. Yeah, no, it sounds like a real children's choir that you might hear. Yeah, it, I, I think that's pretty brilliant. Because just imagine if they were all singing perfectly on pitch, they'd be like, oh, Christmas time is here, okay. Like, it really adds something. I think it's quite clever. And then you're talking about being able to dance to it. So you, I haven't really talked about the other instruments. The piano is pretty prominent. And then you have the drums who are just doing a really, really smooth, um, very, yeah, doing, using the brushes, very unassuming. You know, it's kind of um, in the background. You don't notice it, but it adds to that kind of rhythmic balance there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's in 3-4, and when I mentioned that, that's the same tempo as a waltz. It's like a really slow, this is much slower than a waltz, but it has a dance feel rather than like a strict 4-4 four, four feel, which we use more for military music, or we use for awful lot of hymns, like they're just very straight and square. Not in a bad way, but just, uh, uh, you know, something that is in 3 feels more like something you could dance to, for sure. Yeah. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to add to that? There's a lot going on here. Yeah. I guess all of the comments that people have made and what you pointed out about the, um, the sort of dissonance of the children reaching the pitch. It's such a complex <laughs> mm -hmm. presentation um, in so many ways, and yeah. that makes it really rich. Yeah. And that, yeah, and that's what I really enjoy about music from this season because I feel it is complex. Not that there's anything wrong with Joy to the World, you know, it's a good, you know, great. There's a reason that these songs have persisted. But I think this kind of music reflects maybe more most people's experiences of the holidays. That's not all happy. Um, that, you know, if, as Alex was mentioning, nostalgia can be happy or sad. Um, or both, usually both. Um, and I think, honestly, this, this piece was written for a television special that was broadcast in 65. Um, and it was in that like sort of peak of when we're creating all these nostalgia products during the holiday, so it fits pretty well. Um, yeah, so I think, unless anyone has anything else they want to add, um, we're going to go on to our discussion questions. <laughs> 